I've seen as an executive when I was at Rio Tinto and the board at GLL, for instance, a huge shift where traditionally the role of the board was really looking at succession planning from the top. Now it has been expanding to look at if we make strategic shifts, what are the critical skills needed for those strategic shifts? And do we have access as a company to, to those skills? What is the health of the leadership pipeline? I mean, not only do we have succession plans for the top team, but do we have succession plans that are robust enough for those critical roles? From McKinsey Strategy and Corporate Finance Practice, I'm Sean Brown, and welcome to Inside the Strategy Room. That was Ugo Baguet. He's a former group executive at Rio Tinto and a non-executive director on the board of global real estate services firm, Jones Lang LaSalle. As Ugo points out, board members are increasingly asking pointed questions of management about their talent pipelines and employee skills. Today on the podcast, we look at the board's role in ensuring that organizations have the right talent and culture to achieve their strategic goals. Joining Ugo today is Fritjof Lund, the global leader of our board services work, as well as Mary Meany, a former senior partner based in Paris. Now, here's Fritjof. Thank you, Sean, and thanks to both uh, Mary and uh, to you, Hugo, for uh, joining us today. The importance of talent, culture, and organization has been ever-increasing on the corporate agenda over the last few years, and uh, perhaps accelerated uh, during the pandemic. In our podcast today, we therefore would like to explore what role should the board of directors play, and how can the board best support top management on these critical topics. Mary, you've recently been leading a McKinsey research on reimagining corporations. Uh, what are some of the key trends that you are seeing? Thanks so much, Fritjof. And it's it's wonderful to be here and, and wonderful to, to be with Hugo as well. So pre-COVID, we were already seeing a number of huge shifts around uh, technology, digitization, automation, AI. But also, you know, changes in terms of e-commerce growth, changing consumer preferences, employee expectations, et cetera. And, and we were seeing this acceleration of the scale and scope of change on just about every dimension. And, and that was pre-COVID, right? And if, and if anything, COVID actually has further accelerated and accentuated those trends and added a few more, like a massive shift to remote working and huge disruption to work that actually requires physical presence. So we've seen, you know, just an extraordinary amount of change over this last year and a half. And, and one of the trends that we've also observed is boards getting more involved in supporting management in helping with this unprecedented crisis uh, in ensuring that appropriate actions are taken uh, and in really playing out their governance role. Um, Hugo, I know you're on a, quite a few different boards and have lots of experience. We'd love to hear some of what you've seen over this last year, year and a half. Well, thank you, Mary. And I would echo exactly uh, what you've said. I mean, all of the things that you've been talking about, technological changes, market changes, changes in the employment market also have uh, have led to i mean large strategic discussions uh, at at the board table and linked with strategy of course is there then the question do we have the right talent to fulfill on that strategy but also what does it actually mean for us as a company for our purpose 
and for our culture, so to speak. So all of those elements are for me like interlinked with, with one another. I have to say, however, that whilst, I mean, a decade ago, 15 years ago, and on boards, the financial capital was uh, quite a dominant aspect of, of the discussion. This seems now to have, I mean, not gone away, absolutely not, but to have found a balanced place between the other topics that, that we touched upon. So, and, and I've seen that at the GLL board where, where I'm on, where, I mean, the pandemic has had a huge impact uh, on the business last year. And I think that's the first uh, role of the board. Is management asking itself the right questions around all of those items? If we double down on talent, it, we all know that uh, the role of the board, uh, one of the key roles of the board is around CEO succession. However, what you are both alluding to here is, is a broader, let's say, engagement around talent. Uh, what are the observations on how that role has expanded, not only during the pandemic, but also in the years before that? I've seen as an executive when I was at Rio Tinto and, and I mean, at the board at GLL, for instance, a huge shift where traditionally the role of the board was really looking at succession planning, starting with succession planning from the top. Now it has been expanding to look at if we make strategic shifts, what are the critical skills needed for those strategic shifts? And do we have access as a company to, to those skills? What is the health of the leadership pipeline? I mean, not only do we have succession plans for the top team, but do we have succession plans that are robust enough for those critical roles? And it's also linked with capital investment. And I remember, and I can highlight the example that we attend to at one moment in time, there was a discussion with the board, between management and the board about investments in a particular industry and we let go one of those investments potential investments because we were not sure at all that we could get the right talent to that place and i think that was one of the the first examples where i've seen actually where talent was really in 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 the in the front line of strategic decisions I completely agree, Hugo. And it's interesting because I, I do think that we're seeing a real shift, you know, historically. And a lot of boards didn't spend that much time on talent and culture. When they did, it was often very narrow in focus. It was often very much concentrated on CEO compensation and succession. And even with that very narrow focus, many board members were actually unhappy with the quality of the discussion and the debate and with the outcomes. I think what we're now observing is a lot of companies realizing that actually human capital is incredibly strategic and that attracting, developing, retaining, and, and how they deploy talent is actually a real source of competitive advantage. And again, this is something where there's always a delicate balancing act and there always needs to be judgment because it's management's role to execute this. 
but it's the role, the board's role to ensure and to make, you know, to have that assurance, um, to have the governance. And the board can be enormously powerful in the questions they ask, the questions they fail to ask, and what they put on the agenda, what doesn't make it to the agenda. All of that sends a very powerful signal about what's important and about what matters. And so I do see, you know, a trend towards more companies, more boards actually putting talent on the agenda and putting it top of the agenda, you know, really trying to ensure the talent is at the core of the company DNA. Sometimes you even see trends where they rename some of the committees. So changing the the name of the remuneration committee to more of a talent or a talent rewards committee and making sure that the focus is not just on CEO succession and compensation, but really, you know, do we have the bench strength? Mary, I mean, you definitely have more analytical data. I have only have anecdotal data. But would the observation not be correct that the time that the board spends on on talent is proportional or the evolution is proportional with the time that operational business leaders spent on talent? Because, I mean, 20, 15 years ago, talent was the challenge of the HR department or of the CHRO. And honestly, often CEOs and other members of the senior team delegated the talent challenges to that uh, to the HR department. Today, that is changing too. And I think with that, the role of the board is changing. So for me, there is a proportional evolution that is happening. Yeah, completely agree. I, I think you're right, uh, Hugo. And that's also what we see from our board service is that board directors are spending more time on people and organization-related topics. Uh, and that has been a movement over the last uh, years, uh, pre-COVID as well. Uh, I wanted to pick up on one topic that uh, you mentioned, uh, Mary, which is this sensitivity uh, between the board and the management team and the delineation of the roles and responsibilities of the board relative to management. And I'm sitting in a situation now with a new chair with a strong mandate from the owner to uh, get involved also on the talent dimension beyond succession, while the management and the CEO is maybe naturally, given, let's say, how this has been done historically, uh, a bit skeptical to, let's say, opening up too much to to the board and to the chair in those discussions. How do you manage that sensitivity? Any advice? It's a great question, Fritjof. And I don't think there's a one-size-fits-all answer. I think a lot of this depends on the ownership structure, whether it's family-owned versus publicly listed versus private equity, frankly. I think also a lot of it depends very much on the relationship between the chair and the CEO. You know, historically, the board put their nose in but kept their fingers out, right, and respected the management to execute, to develop the strategy and execute, but would ask questions and would play that governance role. I think over COVID, We've seen an extraordinary, unprecedented time. And, you know, one of the CEOs I work with, he he put it beautifully. He said, look, I, I have to make 100% of the decisions with only about 10% of the information I need. And at least the way that he thought about it was, actually, I want to get my board's help. I want to get their views, their insights, their perspectives, because it's part of my sensing. It's part of my 
a way of accessing information and, and processing this extraordinary crisis and figuring out what the right steps are. So I think a lot of it depends, you know, on the context, on the relationship between the chair and the CEO. And when you create a really positive, constructive relationship, that's when you see, mad, you know, real performance and extraordinary things happen. But it is a delicate balancing act and it does need to be carefully thought through and you don't want to overstep the marks in, in each direction. And so I don't think there's a one size fits all answer. I think it, it, it varies from one organization to the next. I would say that there are two things that we as a board and I as a board member try to do. One is probing. And when you see that your CEO, like is the case in GLL, can talk in detail about the talent that sits two levels underneath him, that in this case, he has met those people personally when he is traveling and had very good conversations with them. That gives you assurance that there is robustness in the talent system, so to speak. The other thing uh, that uh, we are trying to do with the board is asking management and asking the CEO to give exposure to the board of those people. The GLL board travels around the world. With COVID, it was not possible to travel, but I hope that will come soon back. And then we're going to different key places for the company and meet there with the local talent. And also there you, you can then actually match names to faces and see how they interact with the board. I mean, I agree with you. There, there are many different ways one, one can do that. Maybe just to add one other um, example, you know, of course, in the UK, there's even more focus and attention, especially around culture, that the board has been asked to play. And at least some organizations, you know, the, the chairman has said, look, I would like the board to go and spend time in the organization to, you know, have some real contact to engage, et cetera, as a way of, of just giving them a bit more of a sense of what actually happens and what is the culture at the organization. Before we go to culture, on matching talent to value, as you say, what are the natural arenas when the board can ask these probing questions? When What is the best practice almost process for getting involved on the talent dimension for the board? I would say in my experience, and that goes back to my time as an executive at Rio Tinto, it's really around key investments or acquisitions that that a company wants to make, uh, where you then look at, do we have the talent to fulfill the promise on that investment? Whether that is a greenfield investment, whether that's an acquisition, it does not matter. This is where I think it really, I've seen coming it really to, to life. I would agree with that. Ensuring that there's been enough time and thought and effort to understand what is the strength of that talent? Is it a good match in terms of values and culture? Are we going to be able to retain that talent? You know, so there's, a, again, a whole series of questions that are really important. Otherwise, frankly, you lose a lot of the value of the acquisition in the first place. I think the second area where I've seen boards get involved has been around big moves. So a big geographic move or a big thrust into a particular area. So in many cases, there's a lot of assessment around risks of making a major new strategic thrust. But in my experience, companies don't always look at the talent risk, right? Do we have 
the talent that's going to be able to deliver this? And what's the evidence that gives us confidence that we do or not? Some of this happens in the talent and Remco or many remuneration committees have been almost re named or reconfigured to to take a broader talent view how much happens in the committee versus in the board as such at GLL I can clearly say that those questions are being discussed with the full board I mean GLL made a large acquisition two years ago now I can say there was I mean, more than once a full discussion with the with the whole board on on culture as well as on talent and looking at what are mitigation strategies if the risk would realize itself that we would lose critical talent. I I was just going to add, I've I've seen it both in the full board. I also see it in particular in M&A committees. And I actually think that's a very positive development to spend, you know, time, effort, energy to say, okay, as we consider this acquisition, let's be really clear to the extent that we possibly can around the leadership, the talent that we are acquiring with this, the extent to which it's going to be compatible with the culture of the organization, the values, and so on and so forth. Have you also seen what happens if the board is not satisfied with the answers to the questions or the answers to the probing? Have you seen boards do more, let's say, active interventions? I would say ask for more active interventions, not doing active interventions themselves. Uh, And you can give some advice and suggestions and then management needs to come back. Uh, I would be personally uh, not inclined to go and do interventions myself because that I think that would violate some of the key principles of the interaction between management and the board. I, I would agree with that. Um, what I what I definitely see is more challenge, more questioning of both the CEO and the CHRO. And frankly, more often CHROs actually being present at the board meetings, fully participating in the board meeting. It, but I do think the board has to hold the CEO, the senior executive team, the CHRO to account to make sure that they are fully addressing the talent, the culture, creating a strong sense of purpose. Because increasingly in today's world, you know, strategy is relatively easy to replicate and capital is relatively easy to access. So what actually gives you a real source of competitive advantage is your talent and culture. I, I think that's an interesting point. If we look at what uh, some of my private equity clients are doing, if they have boards uh, with the board directors on their portfolio companies, with board directors who have a particular experience from people and organization, they often tend to link those up also with the CHRO in the portfolio so that they actually make these dynamic duos that can work a little bit across the board and the management team on some of these topics. I think let's maybe pivot towards culture. Culture is popping up ever more often on the board agenda. And uh, as you also mentioned in the UK, culture or having oversight uh, of corporate culture is now also part of the UK Corporate Governance Code. Why is that? And how do you define culture, which is maybe the most fundamental question? I think the reason why this is increasingly on the agenda is because there is huge downside when you get it wrong. And we've seen many, many great organizations stumble and frankly, sometimes, you know, even collapse because they have 
had real cultural issues. So there's huge downside from getting it wrong and, and massive upside when you get it right. We've talked about how it's the source of competitive advantage. We have lots of data about how companies with a strong culture outperform by a factor of 3x their peer set. So it's really important. It really matters in terms of driving performance over time. As you said, Fritjof, it is a bit of an amorphous topic and something that you know many people struggle to get their, their arms around. The way I think about culture is it's the set of mindsets and behaviors that shape how work gets done, how decisions get made. It is very much about what people do on a day-to-day basis and their mindsets and beliefs that drive those behaviors, which makes it on one level hard to sometimes measure, but it's really important to understand what the culture is and also whether there's subcultures, because typically, it, especially for large organizations, there's often not just one culture, but there's a number of very different subcultures. And so really understanding, you know, are there areas where we may have subcultures that are really unhealthy and that represent a risk where people are cutting corners or they're doing things that they shouldn't be doing? So for all of those reasons, I think the board is getting increasingly involved, again, in a governance capacity to ask the right questions, to make sure senior leadership understands what the culture is, what the risks may be, and importantly, that they've thought through how they want that to evolve. In in my view too, cultures can change more rapidly than most boards would think. And also it is underestimated, starting with the CEO, what influence the role of the CEO has on culture. Uh, Not only in terms of the understanding of the culture, but also the behaviors of the CEO get often quickly copied throughout the rest of the organization and impact culture. The question also is, what is the role that they have to play? And does the top team understand the role they have to play and what their leadership behaviors will be in order to drive for that future culture? And I think those are the questions board members can and in my view should ask. I completely agree, Hugo. And when I think about culture, just my personal point of view is that culture isn't an end in of itself. Culture is a way of enabling an organization to deliver on its strategy, to deliver performance over time. So it really should flow out of the strategy. And again, I think that's where the board can ask questions, you know, based on our strategy, what are the key cultural elements and themes that are most important? It can can also ask about prioritization because it's in my view, it's very difficult to be excellent across a broad swathe of things. So you really want to think hard about what are the few things that are going to make the biggest difference that we really want to focus on. So what are the few cultural priorities? And then, as Hugo said, it needs to be owned by the senior leadership. People will watch their feet, not their lips. They will watch what they do. They will watch who gets promoted and who gets sidelined. And that's what shows what really matters and whether or not it's real or whether it's just rhetoric. What gets measured gets done. And so having an asking for regular measurements around, well, where is our culture? And are we improving? And if not, why not? And, you know, what are some of the course corrections that we we may want to, to make? So I think all of those things are important. The one other thought I would also just add, and this is an area where I think the board itself can actually be really powerful, is lifelong learning. So given how fast our world is changing, all of our skills from the boardroom down to the engine room, everybody's skills, has a shorter and shorter shelf life, right? We're all getting obsolete faster and faster. And so one of the critical 
success factors, both for individuals, but also for institutions, is to get really good at learning and to have that curiosity and that external orientation and that thirst for learning. I think that's an area where it can start at the top and the boards can play a tremendously powerful role. By example, if I think about some of the boards I've been on, we've actually gone and we've been to China, we've been to India, we've been all over the world visiting key customers, immersing ourselves in the latest disruptive technologies, things that are truly mind-blowing. And by that example, it also, I think, helps show the importance for everybody at every level in the organization to constantly learn and to constantly, you know, look outside and to be curious and to try to understand some of the key trends that are shaping our world. I think you're pointing to something quite important, Mary, which is the role of the board as a role model. Also on the cultural dimension, you're mentioning the example of lifelong learning. I saw another example of a very large retail acquisition, but where the acquiring retailer of a large retail chain, the board flew into the Northern European headquarters. They flew in flying coach not business class. They rented a van, and this is a very large company. They rented a van. They drove with uh, seven seats. They had the board um, driving to the different retail outlets. They had the board meeting in the canteen. And, And the reason was they had a cultural let's say, or a key business driver was continuous improvement and, you know, cost consciousness. And every dime counted, basically. That was uh, really critical for the uh, profitability in that specific niche. And they really sent a very strong signal that the board is living this. We are really serious about it. They created this uh, a very strong signal that was, especially on the receiving side or of the acquired company, they really picked that up immediately. Maybe one last question on on culture before we move on. How do you get to learn the culture? Is it doing, you know, we have, of course, some surveys. uh, Everyone will have that. Or is it, you know, being out talking to people? What's your advice to get a concrete understanding of the culture as a board director? For me, do not only do one thing. Do all of those things that you've mentioned because that will give you a more rounded picture. Service will tell you one thing. I think also one of the things that we we are privileged to do at, at JLL is on, on when we, we have the board meetings abroad is to have one evening where we sit down with, with local talent and have having dinner together. And in those exchanges, you learn an enormous amount of things, how people interact with one another because as a board member, you're sitting at a table with six, seven local talented uh, people and, and you learn a lot how they interact. Do they challenge one another? Do they support one another? And so on and so on. This is where you see actually culture at work, uh, so to speak. And also in some instances working with clients. You see kind of how clients are reacting, how clients value not the what what work is done, but how the work is done of in, uh, between the company and, and themselves. I think what is a waste of time, frankly, is carefully orchestrated roadshows that have been planned to the nth degree, where, frankly, you get a slick presentation, but you really don't get under the surface. I think you do need different data points, right? 
whether that's a broad-based survey, whether that's informal visits, ideally that haven't been planned in advance. I remember one organization I was working with and I went into the factory and I, you know, was just talking to people. And before they would answer any question, the first thing they would do was they'd look over their shoulder. And when this happened after, you know, four or five times, I realized there was a culture of fear that people were afraid to actually tell me what they thought. That told me a huge amount. So, so I think what's important is definitely to get that 360 perspective. And what I've always found is that, you know, there typically disconnects in organizations. I, you know, we run the Organizational Health Index, the kind of broad-based culture survey. And I always find there's a disconnect between what senior leaders say and what people at other levels in the organization. And to me, one of the things that's always interesting to look at is how big is the disconnect and where does it happen? So typically, leaders tend to be more positive about the quality of direction, the quality of leadership. They tend to be more motivated. They tend to be more skeptical about the capabilities in the organization. But you do still see some pretty significant differences. I was working with one major company, and the senior leadership team all rated themselves top quartile on leadership, direction, culture, work environment, you name it. They rated themselves absolutely best of the best. And what was fascinating was when we get, got the results of the survey back, their direct reports, so their direct immediate reports rated the bottom of the fourth quartile, right? It was right there in front of everybody. So what's important is to get lots of different data sources. How consistent are there? How much variation is there? Is it because of hierarchy? Is it because of geography? And in particular, to look for things that give you cause for concern. So when people don't have personal ownership, when there isn't a strong sense of accountability, that always makes me nervous, right? Because that suggests that actually the risk culture may not be there. Um, if people don't have a strong sense of professional standards or a strong sense of values, or they're not taking ownership for what they do, or they feel disempowered, or if they don't feel like it's safe, right? And, and that includes both physical safety, but also psychological safety. And so those are all things to kind of probe for as you, you know, ideally get to know the organization better. We also talked about organization and how to organize um, future operating models. What's your view on to what extent the board should get involved in how do you organize the company, and uh, both in terms of how you operate and actually the organization. My view, my view on that is, is pretty clear that that is the prerogative of the CEO. I think the question to ask is, how does the organization set up supports the strategy? And is there that linkage or is that linkage feelings, especially in a transformation? If you, I mean, in the era that we are in with plenty of change, and that's the, the place where Mary started this conversation, what are then the organizational consequences of those transformations that companies are undergoing? And is that well thought through? And if it is, it is then still the choice of the CEO, in, in, in my view. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting question, Fred Jeff. Um, we, we just published some research with, that we did with Harvard, looking especially at, around enterprise agility. And over the last few years, we've seen lots and lots of companies move to, you know, embrace agile ways of working. And it started in telecoms and financial services, but we're now seeing it in oil and gas and mining, consumer products, pharma, et cetera, et cetera. And some of the research that we did was just looking at how did this play out over COVID? And it was really interesting because what we saw was across many different countries, if you looked at a wide range of, of companies, 
those organizations that had embraced agile ways of working did significantly better. They moved faster, they innovated more creatively, they actually maintained employee morale uh, much more effectively than those that hadn't. Now, having said that, I'm still where Hugo is, which is ultimately the board can ask a lot of questions, right? They can look at this research, they can ask probing questions, they can do go and see visits, they can challenge. But ultimately, I do think this is one area where it's the management's responsibility and and prerogative to decide on, well, what's the right model for us, given our strategy and given what we're trying to achieve? Yeah, uh, and I'm serving with myself of a legacy company that is fundamentally transforming. And I guess there, at least we see a big appetite from the board to be involved, not to decide exactly how it will be implemented, but really the parallel almost from the discussion around talent. It's really being able to challenge some of the decisions, not to uh, to decide is it A or B, but ensuring that the process to get to the answer is sufficiently robust and to really also be a catalyst for even more radical solutions. I mean, uh, here in this situation, the board is trying to really push radicality and the fear, at least from my perception from the board, is that management is potentially not going far enough and they want to be able to catalyze that change without saying exactly which solution it should be. So I guess it, it, we're not fundamentally saying the different uh, different things. I think ultimately the responsibility and accountability for how to organize will rely on the CEO and the management team. But I, I, ha- I have to say, I still would expect boards at least over time to become also on the organization dimension even more let's say, active and uh, and engaged. I don't know. Does that make sense, uh, I mean, Marion and Hugo? Makes sense. And I think this was a very good example that you gave for itself. But still in your example, I hear the challenging role of the board, but ultimately it's management that will have to make the decision on this. And then the question is, what is the culture of the organization between challenging and the supportive role of the board and where do you draw that line? Very good. Uh, what is your advice to uh, to a board director today on getting up to speed or to asking uh, the right questions on some of all of these dimensions that we now discuss, talent, culture, organization? Don't count on your own experience when you were an executive but also be constantly on the look what other companies are doing. Have a lot of exchanges with board members of other companies in other industries. Seek out what is going on and look what you can apply for your own company. This very much goes back to what I was talking about with the mindset of lifelong learning and whether that's experts, whether that's the latest research, whether that's actually going and spending time with the organization and asking questions and learning about their approach to talent or culture. I I do think it's about having that curiosity and that appetite for learning and, and recognizing how important this is. If we go back to where we started the podcast, I genuinely believe that talent and culture are increasingly the source of competitive advantage. And so there is a huge amount at stake in getting this right. 
And really kind of engaging with this topic, I think, is increasingly going to be one of the most important aspects of being a board member. Thank you very much, Marie and Hugo. Very much appreciated. Very uh, insightful, I have to say. Much appreciated. Many thanks to Fritjof, Mary, and Ugo for sharing their insights with us today. We hope you enjoyed the discussion. A transcript of this conversation will be made available on the Inside the Strategy Room podcast collection page on mckinsey.com, I-T-S-R, that stands for Inside the Strategy Room. And there you can also easily browse and filter our library of more than 50 previous episodes. And if you'd like to focus on our previous board-related podcasts covering cybersecurity, sustainability, decision-making, and resilience, you can quickly find them at mckinsey.com slash ITSR slash boards. If you'd like to share feedback or an idea for a future podcast, please email us at insidethestrategyroom at mckinsey.com. To receive alerts on our latest insights, you can sign up on mckinsey.com slash ITSR at the bottom of every page. You can also follow us on Twitter at MCK Strategy and connect with us on the McKinsey Strategy and Corporate Finance LinkedIn page. Thanks again for listening. We look forward to having you join us again soon inside the Strategy Room. <laughs>